in USSR during the 50s and 60s, illegal music was recorded and smuggled in on used x-ray films and recalled rock on bones, or music on ribs. Hello and welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I've really been listening too much no, to no, podcasts that... lately. <laughs> no, if no, you want good. to host the show, you just host the show. Come on, that's... <laughs> Hello Rest. and no, okay, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I was just pushing you in the right direction. Yeah. You were like posing for a long yeah, time. Yeah. So hello you and welcome no to <laughs> You're not gonna be able to start today. Go ahead. I'm gonna be quiet. This is a podcast. We're doing a podcast. Welcome to the listeners. And shut up to you two of you. Welcome to the Welcome to the episode episode. I'm steving. I'm steving very hard right now. <laughs> You're doing great. I, I love. I'm loving every second right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hello and welcome. This is the two thirds focused podcast where we spend about an hour figuring out which one is blurry and which one is drunk, and then the third one hopefully is focused, or something like that. <laughs> Sounds good. Nice. I, I don't know. Nice. No, no, we'll, we'll, we'll see how this goes. Yeah, I like it. So, so what? How's your how how's your week been doing? How 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 have you been doing this week? That's words. I'm very much steaming today. <laughs> yeah, Jan, you you're on the road. What's I'm, up? I'm 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 the one starting. Oh, I'm, yeah, I'm. Lot, work is picking back up, so I've been actually doing a lot of traveling, uh, which is actually really nice. It's like the first time in over a year being on the road again, and. Yeah, no, it's um, I did a trip like basically down from the south of Germany up to like more the center northern part of it so far. Um, it was actually really nice because it also gave me the chance to uh, visit Craftswood Allen on the way, like for a shot stop and a cup of tea. Nice. Yeah, so that, that was really nice. And um, now I've been basically stuck, like I visited two customers, like one on the way and now I'm uh, pretty much stuck close to Düsseldorf at a customer, which is... Uh, actually gonna let me travel back tomorrow so uh it is, is is this one of those quick and easy jobs that is nothing like that no it's one of those i want to bang my head against the wall all day kind of jobs where mm. like it it's one of those where your uh basically your company tells you it's like well it's pretty easy just just a little update needed well i'm not a service technician i work in sales so i basically transported one of our uh, demo units for like exhibitions up to our distributor that also is a programmer to just do a quick change that was three days ago Ooh. <laughs> yes yeah. German efficiency oh it's, <laughs> yeah 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 because to, to three days doesn't sound that bad yeah I mean it would take at least three weeks in France but it's not done the exact I'm just uh, heading yeah, home. Okay. I'm just heading home tomorrow. I don't okay. care if that thing is done or not. <laughs> I'm oh, not you're just saying screw you guys. I'm doing <laughs> yeah, exactly. It. It's like, well, yeah. I guess I'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs> so, how many hours did you have to drive to see to see your customers? Um, that was well, with, with breaks. Um, that was probably about six hours. That's a long oh, wow. drive. Well, it was also because I got into traffic, like basically because I had an appointment in the morning um in like basically the cologne area 
Then after that, I visited um, Alan, and then I continued driving. But because of that break, I basically got into uh, the after-work traffic, you could say. Mm-hmm. So that also stretched a little bit, but not too bad. And it was definitely worth it. It was good seeing Alan again. Yeah, I bet. Nice. So red. Uh, you, still, you still sleep very fast. I I try to. Uh, I had I had uh, a bit of a. The challenge uh, it was to clean the leather working room, so the space I'm in right now. Can I say it doesn't show? No, it doesn't show. Yeah, no, sure, you can't, you can't probably see (laughs) any any changes. Uh, But I, I, I did, I did a lot actually. I cleaned it, reorganized it. Uh, I did a few tools that I ordered online uh, a few days ago and received. I'm super happy with it, like a Skyrim machine. Like, uh, uh, so it's it's all for leather, obviously. Uh, Skyvi machine for for belts and straps. Uh, also um, a sander and a burnisher, which is uh, one and the same machine uh, here. Uh, also. Uh, hot stamping machine, uh, which I wanted nice. for a long time. I ordered um, online again. Is, is that the same yeah. thing that uh, James of Not Make has, or is that a different machine? No, I think it's the same because uh, you can Ooh. hot stamp leather and you can also uh, gold stamp stuff uh, if you have the stamp. So yeah. I, I really. Yeah, yeah the... he calls it a hot foil machine, but I, I guess that's specifically when he uses the different gold foils and silver foils and all of that. Uh, yeah, probably, but I guess he's right because he's better at English than I am. So <laughs> that, that's probably the right name for the machine. I just call it this old stamp machine, but yeah, you can you can use it basically without, with or without foil. So you can, oh. you can just burn the leather to uh, put your brand uh, into it. Oh, cool. Or yeah. you can put foil and gold stamp stuff. So uh, yeah, it, it does both. With, is great and and it was pretty cheap compared to the machine that i could buy um here uh in france or at my my uh, reseller or furniture or not furniture um what's the name what's the word uh retailer retailer yeah that's retailer. the thing yeah thank you um so yeah i did a few machines clean clean the shop uh, reorganized stuff, uh, bought a few bugs from Ikea to put all my hardware in small boxes so I don't search hours for stuff. Um, and then that's that, and spend a lot of time on the computer to um, design patterns and, and, and stuff like that. And that, that's pretty much it. Hmm. Yeah. Productive. Not not yeah. very efficient, but kind of productive. It was the a needed step before going back to work fully uh, next week. Yeah. yeah, this is the end of your August vacation. Absolutely. So the kid is still at home, <clears throat> so I have to take care uh, of him and and play with him and spend time with him. So I don't have um, all the free time that I would need to work full time, uh, like all day. Uh, but he will be back to school next week. So I'm just doing uh, everything I can in order to prep for next week and to be back at work like uh, more efficiently. Cool. What about you, Ras? What did you do? I've I've been panicking, sort of. No, I, it's been fine. I've been I've been 
is packing up the forge and oh. all of the things I have in it. Oh. And so I moved workshop last time four years ago. Mm -hmm. And I had like a proper big pickup truck with a big trailer behind it to help one of the mates has that. And they helped drive everything down to where I am now. And we was fair amount above the limit of what the trailer was supposed to legally have on the road. Uh-huh. I have more stuff now. Oh. Of and course you do. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I realize I have a problem the moment I... I, I, a mate of mine, uh, he built me some really heavy-duty wooden boxes that I can put things in and that I can toss around a bit and that will take a beating, which just comes in really handy now because I have a lot of hammers and tongs and materials of various shapes and bits. The problem occurred when I figured out, oh, I can probably fit all of my laser-cut material blanks in one box. Sure. Yeah, sure the problem, of course, follow. being that I couldn't lift that box afterwards. I could yeah. barely tip it so I could get like a corner of the ground. <laughs> and then I started to look at it and was figuring out that I have no way of weighing this, but I need to know how much it roughly weighs. And all of the laser cut blanks took off about like two thirds of the box in, in volume, and a bit was poking out the top. And then the rest was like, tin cans full of materials of different shapes but so, so just some rough calculations of just the density of volume and steel there landed me at 216 kilos and then i put more stuff in oh yeah sure yeah well you know not? what they say the 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 first step of fixing a problem is to admit that you have a problem so <laughs> it also so oh, yeah it also sounds like you didn't want to like really pack your stuff because you spent the time calculating how much is in that box instead of just hauling it. <laughs> yeah, it could could be. No, it it went well, and it, like honestly, this was like maybe. So I, I, I you know, steel is fairly dense. It weighs what nearly eight kilos to the liter or something. I have no idea. Uh, copper is more dense, by the way, which is fun. Copper is denser really? than. Yeah. Uh, than steel, not heavier. And if you, I hear you, it's denser. <laughs> uh, and uh, but basically, I had like one. Sh I had my big workbench, and I had one shelf above that. I'm mm -hmm. doing fancy hand gestures for all the audio listeners. And one end of that shelf was connect also connected to the sidewall, so it had some extra support. So I put all of the lace cut materials up there, and all of these stuff they took up nearly half a meter of that shelf like going outwards from that corner, which it was 200 kilos. And then I remembered, oh, I also have like these big blanks for like cooking pizza on that is one centimeter thick that weighs 10 kilos a piece. I have five of those as well on a different shelf. So, well, you have, I, I might, you have, I might you have, have a, a lot of face in your shelves, man. And I yep. admire that because I wouldn't dare to put so much weight on any of my shelves especially yeah. not in any height yeah uh i didn't you, you heard the story of the straw that broke the camel's back yeah yep yeah um i sh probably back. should not put more steel on that shelf than what no, i did because then the camel will break exactly yeah and the last <laughs> thing that's gonna go through your head is like a blank of 20 kilograms or something like that mm -hmm. <laughs> uh but yeah no I, I've, I've been packaging all up 
a lot of the shop today and yesterday, just organizing things and cleaning out some. Uh, luckily, the museum have agreed that they will take all of my metal scraps away. Okay, cool. Uh, and I told them, oh, no, it's not that much, but it's heavy. Uh, then I cleaned up, and now it's a lot, and it's really heavy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, like, I figured out that I have I have probably three sets of, like, like chains for tractor tires. Why? I don't know. <laughs> I don't recall why I have them. They were just stuffed underneath the bottom shelf of the workbench. They were there. The, and I had to dig them out of the gravel. Yeah. So you already had the fun of like basically brushing everything up and like picking all up the small like the small parts, like you know like the fun is in whenever every time you move and I move plenty of times till we finally bought the house, is you walk through and you think you're done, and you walk through every room and there's just a little bit here and a little bit there and you think oh fine this is great no there's a little bit here and a little bit there it's gonna be like another two to three, full trunks in the car. I, I'm, I'm telling you right now. Oh, oh yeah, it is. You don't know it yet because you're gonna walk through, <laughs> and it's just a little bit here and a little bit there, and you're gonna recall my words the moment you start loading it all into your car. <laughs> uh, you're probably not wrong. The benefit of having like a gravel floor is that as you walk around, you just stomp all of the dirt or all the scrap steel into the ground. So there's a there's no dusting of the floor in here. I mean, I, I would have to go through with an industrial strength magnet and Hoover, <laughs> uh, and even then I wouldn't want to. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, the, I I've cleaned out a lot. I've take like sorted a lot of stuff. The only thing missing is half the workshop, where I have the piles of post vised and I have my woodworking tools and my pillar drill and my massive grinder. Not the belt grinder, the the like two wheel stone spinny of desk kind of thing, uh -huh. which funnily enough, it's made in Oslo at Viking Electronics Factory in the sixties, and the off switch doesn't work, and there's no brakes on it, uh -huh. so you can power it on really easily. Stopping it is not so easy. <laughs> so this is basically you why it? you have a crowbar next to it, as you just jam in <laughs> it. <laughs> No, uh, I screamed and panicked and held on to their life until it <laughs> wound down on his, of his own accord. But uh, James of Alt make he did a video uh, last year, maybe, about uh -huh. how to uh, fit a brake into the motor and did some wiring stuff as well. So whenever I can actually walk around the machine, uh, hopefully just after I move and not the next year, uh, I'll, I'll hopefully be able to fix that. So basically, you watched the video, and you thought, "Oh, this is how it's going to work." Now I feel safer, and then you, but you never installed it. You just know I, that I, you I, could. I, I, I will not incriminate myself by confirming nor denying anything. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a fixable problem. Let's push it in yeah. the back. It's not yeah, that yeah, important yeah. anymore. <laughs> that kind of thing. But yeah. So uh, oh, and also I made. Um, th this is actually a fun thing. I don't. This is probably very Norwegian to you, but um, I have two nieces now that are getting their name ceremony, christening ceremony, whatever you call it. Mm -hmm. um, it's Taufe in Germany. Yeah, That's very good for German. Um, <laughs> so, well, one of them is my niece. The other one is the daughter of a very good friend of mine from the Scouts. And um, they're having that ceremony soon. My niece, actual niece on Sunday and 
I made them both knives. They're both girls. They're both like not even half a year old. They're getting a their first knife already. And th this is not a traditional costume custom in Norway, but it's common and it's not unheard of to sort of actually get a knife before you start school. Mm -hmm. Sounds sounds absolutely reasonable. Sounds no no handguard and really pointy and sharp. Yeah, yeah. Of no sheath. Oh yeah, uh, no. I'm 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 starting on to sheath after we finish the podcast today. Uh, <laughs> cool. Oh, you mean like after they are like get into school? <laughs> n n no, uh, I mean right. It's like right, here, right, your right nice right sheath is gonna come later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, and I, I posted on the Instagram a little while back, uh, early this week as well. So I have some leftover bits of. Uh, elm burl that's really nice and curly colorful and then some ah, I saw the pictures yeah look really nice mm -hmm. so yeah i'm i'm actually a little bit pleased by it even though i accidentally drilled the the hole for the tang in one of the elm burls on the wrong angle like completely which actually turned out all right because i had like just enough millimeter clearance on either side to make it fit the hand and the size of the knife and all that a uh, little bit dicey, but I, I mean, I have more elms, so I could just cut more off and use more. But it's yeah. it's a small wins of sort of oh, I fucked up, but I can save it. Yeah, and that's great. Yeah, I like that. I have a question about about the knife. Is it, it you? You said it's not an official custom, but that's what people do. Or like, is there a backstory to it? Is there is there a reason that people? tend to to um, give knives I to, mean, to young children? Um, yes and no. So one of the really unique quirks of the Norwegian culture is our, not only our love of hiking, but the right to roam that they have in England as well. But in Norway, it's like we are how many number of times larger than England and like a what a tenth of the population or something mm. um and we have also a very large history of being like common folk because we were underneath denmark for 400 years a lot of the like nobility we don't have nobility in norway that's one thing we have upper class people but not nobility and all of this like government officials and um most of the priests and sheriffs and all of that they were danish and or even german because uh the, the danish royalty uh, at some point they were more german than actual danish they didn't speak danish even at the uh, at court for like hundreds of years mm -hmm. uh because there was i don't recall the name of the province but it's just south of denmark in Germany that was really contested for hundreds of years between Denmark and Germany. Mm -hmm. um, there wasn't also a Danish queen that was married to a German king, something like that. Oh, I'm, I'm bad at history. So oh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Yeah. This is coincidentally something I heard heard explained like today or yesterday. Um, but it, so the, the culture of Norway is common folk. We're in, we haven't been like government officials or high class or anything like that up until the 60s almost when we found oil i mean you had rich people before that but 
the vast majority of Norwegian people were simple farmers or tradesmen. Mm-hmm. And with that came like the love of the outdoors. And we had a lot of outdoors and a lot of families were hunting regularly or they were farming the land to get food. So up until a hundred years ago, pretty much everyone grew up being very active outside mm-hmm. and hiking and camping and all of that. So yeah, we have a very large knife culture in Norway. Uh, it's, it's, it, it is illegal to wear a knife without a purpose, out, um, X number of centimeters long or something like that. But if you are wearing the national costume, our bunad, then you could, a knife is a part of that. Oh, okay. If you have the scout uniform, a knife is part of that. If if you are a tradesman, of course you need to have you need to have a knife on you. There's no question yeah. about it. Do do you have the um, do you have, do you bury people with a knife too? Because in many cultures, the knife is also um, hmm. something that you put into the coffin uh, to for for the dead guy to protect <laughs> himself in the. I've never Next heard time. about it. Uh, it, it. Not doesn't modern cost, custom. Uh, I haven't heard about it in that sense. <laughs> But I know a lot of people who. I, I know a lot of people today that, including my grandfather, who probably most definitely would have wanted to be buried with a special knife. Now I have probably one of those special knives for my grandfather, uh, <laughs> so he's not buried with that one. Uh, but but. Yeah, we have the Viking traditions in, in that sense. And side small sidebar is also we had a law in Norway up until 1814 that said that every able-bodied man needed to not only have a weapon to defend land and country, but also he needed to train with it every single week. Wow. Usually that was done after church. Wow. Which is why all of the ch- uh, churches, or especially Stave Church, the old Viking quote, quote unquote uh, churches in Norway, they have a special room or special openings around it where the farmers could keep their weapons while in church because you weren't allowed to take the weapons inside, yes. but you needed to bring them to church. Wow. And even after the law was changed when we got our constitution in 1814, like there was almost two, three generations after that that still kept bringing the weapons to church, even though the law was uh, abolished. That that is really funny. That's like in the US as you got like after mass or after church, you got your like, um, how do you call it? Your picnic, your church Sunday picnic yeah, outside. Yeah. And, and the Norwegian's gonna go like, hey, yeah, let's do some knife fighting. <laughs> well, some it was more throwing. like axes and spears. And then after a while, it was also with muskets and rifles. Oh, okay, yeah, sure. Okay. Um, Oh, so, uh, so, well, so, not, not, so not more like the south, southern U.S. then? Maybe. Well, rifles weren't, of course, a thing yet. Muskets were. Um, but, yeah. And fun, 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 fun fact. This is really fun. The, one, of the, one of the best sniper rifles during the American Civil War was a Norwegian gun. It was okay. called Langkrag. Which means? The long Krag Jørgensen. Which means? Uh, Krag Jørgensen was the manufacturer of the gun. Long okay. is long. Oh, okay. So it was basically yeah, long barrel. I got barrel. the long part, but yeah. the, uh, the pick up for that, I was like, oh, ah, yeah. okay. Uh, no, it was called Krag. 
Krag, okay. because that's the short of it, but it was Krag Jürgensen who was the manufacturer of it. Yeah. Uh, and it apparently was, at the time, the best sniper rifle in the world at the time of the American Civil War. Nice. And we know a fair bit of them was sold over there and used during that period. Yeah, and do cool. you have that kind of, of tradition of, of having a knife or pocket knife in, in, in Germany as well? Um, depends on if they, <laughs> if you get stabbed with one, it might still be in you when you get buried. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> we, do, we do not get... <laughs> I'm not sure if there are any rules like if you can like if you can get buried with anything. I, it's Germany. We have regulations for everything, so it's probably not even allowed to like mm. put anything into the grave. Um, yeah, that could be a thing. I, I know mean, I mean, there's some, special rules for the wood in coffins. I know. I yeah, uh, exactly. And I know that um, a lot of people basically was well, still snuck to the co like the coffin and put something personal, like sneak it in there. So I, I've, I've known, I, yeah, exactly, like bottle, like small bottle of red wine or something like that. So more like not as a superstition, but like if the like person in charge like liked something really much, like like yeah. sneaking something in, but it's not official and it's pretty much not allowed. But I mean, sure it's it is common to be buried with like a pocket watch. Not that I know of. No. Um, I mean, I, I know I, that I used know. to be a big thing because there was sort of like a pocket watch was one of the most things, bef really important thing. Like no, because what ago. basically happens if you get buried, like basically what what's going to happen is you're going to be compost in a yeah, lot yeah. of years. Uh, and if you have something just... like with you, I'm I'm not sure about that. Like I'm not sure if that is allowed in Germany. I've never asked about it. Yeah. But. I'll have to check for Norway, actually. This is curious. Curious, But the thinking was just that if you're already allowed to bury, be buried with a pocket watch, I mean, there is not more metal or incompostable material in a pocket watch than there are in a knife. Exactly. Yeah. Probably less, actually. Dep well, depending on the size of the knife. If you're going all Rambo on it, then, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a lot of metal. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, like here lies Jan with his, like, behander. Like by hand, like long sword, <laughs> two-handed long sword. <laughs> yeah, I mean that, that that would be fun though. I mean, but uh, let's, let's. It's especially fun the if they of, like. Let's, I, 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 let's keep on the topic of death for a little bit more because, like cremation, that's mm -hmm. not really a common thing in Norway yet. Oh really? Yeah, it really that's is surprising Germany, because like a lot of. I mean, I mean, it's yeah. it's not uncommon, but I think. I'll have to check, but maybe half. Half is a lot. Half is already a lot when when it comes to 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 the the numbers in France com compared to France. I'd, yeah. Now we have like one third of people getting getting cremated, and and mostly people who have no faith in any kind of religion and don't want to be buried in a sacred ground of a cemetery. Your cemetery, 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 cemetery. Yeah, yes, that was that one. the one. <laughs> Why cemetery? Not, Burial not ground. a word. Yeah. Wording is hard. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, but, so obviously, when you you get cremated, you you can't put anything in the in in the coffin, and you can't be buried with uh, anything because everything will burn. It will remain, and if there is precious material, you um, take the risk uh, of it being being stolen by the guy working in the thing. So mm. the law here is that you can't be buried with 
basically anything to uh, avoid stealing, like opening a grave and, and people go to steal jewelry, rings, uh, watches or whatever. Uh, but we have uh, a tradition of um, putting stuff in the coffin as well when, when we, we dress up the body to put um, stuff that the, the dead used to like, like watches and, and clothes and picture and, and a few objects. So a knife is a, is a common thing to put uh, in uh, uh, the coffin of a man. At, at least it used to be. Uh, until up to, until like recently, uh, my grandfather mm. was buried with with his knife, I believe. Uh, one of my two grandfather, at least, and the pocket watch. The problem is that there is a lot of stealing. There used to be a lot of stealing and people opening oh. graves. And now, when you have a ceremony with an open coffin, members of the family or friends can also steal directly from the body during the ceremony. So you have to be very careful when you want to put object in a coffin you have to do it at the very last minute just before they seal the coffin before they hmm. took it take it away to the cemetery what's wrong with your french people i have no idea <laughs> i i don't know this i i don't know it used to be a sacred thing to bury a, a, a dead yeah. person it is not anymore apparently but i, I believe the the decline in faith did did the um, took its toll on on behavior of people mm. when it, it was all sacred because everyone was believing in in a god and and afterlife no one would have dared touch a, a body, a, a body, a dead body in a bad way, like to steal from it. And there is a law in France, especially for that. Uh, even on a battlefield, you can't take anything from a, a dead body, even the mm. gun, even the the ammo, uh, nothing. It's there is a law. Wow. But um, yeah, now people still they they are dickhead, dickhead, dickheads. I mean, I mean, that's what we've been saying all along. French are dicks. Absolutely, <laughs> they are. I'm, I'm French, but I'm not. So I'm my, I'm, I'm my. You're bad French, French, then. Yeah, I'm a bad French. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. That, that, they, told... that makes it better. <laughs> <laughs> I've uh, been told so many times that I'm, I'm at least one third Japanese. Uh, so I, I would be one third French, one third Japanese, and the other third. Focus. Not yet. Focus. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. There you go. I, I quickly I looked up the, um, the cremation statistics of Norway, and 2019, 44 percent of burials was with cremation. That's a lot. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's a that's yeah. A that's that's that, I mean I guess 50 percent. So I guess I wasn't all that far off when I thought no, about no, it. No. Yeah. Um, my thinking was more like we haven't had that big problem of running out of space in our cemeteries. So my, I was thinking that yeah. this cremation was a response to you need to save space. But of course, you also know how the trend of people getting, getting cremated and then getting turned into a diamond or something, which I think is really cool, actually. Having a yeah. wedding ring and saying, oh, yeah, that's my grandfather. <laughs> that's also a little bit creepy. Yeah. For some I, people. I, mean, I, I find it cool because you can yeah. like, have yeah. the loved ones every time with you and the value of diamonds can yeah. somehow relate to the value of the people that you used to love and, and to be with. 
there's a lot of symbolism there I actually like. But it's also a little bit... I mean, I probably wouldn't have it, like, as my regular ring. I don't Mm -hmm. think so. Maybe as a special thing that I will only wear on occasion. Or or actually, we have a lot of... Like, men don't have a lot, but there's a lot of jewelry related to the national costume of Norway, the bunads. Usually it's silver. Some parts of Norway that were really rich actually have gold uh, in that. But uh, my national costume has like the silver uh, brooch, but it's brooch kind of, Mm -hmm. and it's silver and emerald. Mm. So it's like, well, if, and there's two emeralds in it, and it would be kind of cool actually if that were like my grandfather and my father or something. I mean, my, my father is well, much, very much alive yet. But, <laughs> don't, don't kill him uh, yet. <laughs> to make, to make hopefully he will not hear this. <laughs> and hopefully this is visible in, or it like doesn't hold up in court or something. I mean, <laughs> entertainment value and all that. <laughs> um, yeah, just just thinking. I mean, so just for the number of, just for comparison, in France yeah. in 1980, uh, only 1% of the burial was uh, cremation. Oh. Uh, and now, uh, so in the latest number that I have found is uh, 2018, it was uh, 39% of the of the the where cremation. Okay, so so it's nearly the same as in Norway now. Yeah, uh, just a little bit less, but but it uh, increased uh, a lot in the past 40 years. It was like um, no way, like in the 60s or 70s, it was even not allowed by church to be cremated and and buried in a, a sacred ground. Uh, hmm. But now now it's 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 common. Um, yeah, almost forty percent. I, I believe since since the in the past three years it, it went over the forty percent. So yeah, uh, almost half of the population gets um, cremated, which is very interesting because there is this current. This it's not a trend. I believe it's a real change in in the way of thinking death, uh, which is very interesting because that's the way uh, they did it in Asia for like thousand of years uh especially in japan because everybody knows how attached i am to japan because i've spent a lot of time over there um and and yeah again getting buried actually buried is not a thing in japan you get cremated and then you have uh, um, a tombstone and your ashes are put under the tombstone in mm. sacred ground in Japan but everybody gets cremated the only people get that get buried are emperors I can oh. not say like I did not find a Google result for uh, like what the percentage of Germans getting cremated but uh, I can tell you that like the second search hit is basically what is more expensive being cremated or being <laughs> buried, which pretty much says everything about Germany. It does. It, it does actually. It's, also, that's fantastic. That like that is, first. That's like that the, is, the, the that second hit. Like the first one is like cremation Germany. The second one is what is more expensive. <laughs> it's like oh, okay. What's what's the word like pragmatist? That's the that's that's the word. Like very practically oriented. Absolutely. No, which is cheap as fuck. <laughs> I'm glad that you said it. Especially like if you go into the Swabian area, you know that we like we've basically uh, the Swabians are used to be like this is why probably the last name is Maxwell. 
We are Scots that kicked out of Scotland for like spending, or no, actually, sorry, it's the Scottish people are Swabians that got kicked out of Swabia for spending too much money. Really? Oh, that's great. That's what that's basically great. they say with like a laugh, but I don't know why they're laughing about it because it's pretty much true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Should, should, we, should we try to get on to today's topic? Yeah, maybe. Oh, we have a topic? Probably. I think we have a topic. Uh, well, a, I have I have a, a sentence. Yeah. yeah. And I want thoughts on it. Okay. So we heard the whole 10,000 hours to become an expert in something. Yeah. Yeah. Which of course doesn't account for like how difficult the thing you want to learn is. Yeah. So my thinking is you spend 10,000 10, hours to move to the starting line. And okay. then you are moving beginning your journey after that absolutely and some so, even might make it twenty thousand before they start yeah yeah can, can i ask a question before i, I yeah no, I, no. What, what how would you define the starting line what what does it represent to you um is it the starting line like you're not the beginning anymore and then after ten thousand hours you start your journey to become an expert at something so that 10,000 hours are like an introduction to the craft or to yes. whatever. Yes, I think that's yeah. pretty much sums up my thinking that um, you, to become a master of something or an expert, depending on if you define them differently or not, is something you can only do after you have achieved a certain level of skill in something. And it's not actually about getting better of the craft but it might be be getting quicker and having a better understanding of the craft uh -huh. whereas when you're just starting to do something you're trying to gain all of that knowledge you are trying to like in blacksmithing which is the only language i speak uh you at the, at the beginning you need to learn all of the different things of how to manipulate the tongs, how to hold your hammer, how to manage the fire, how to position your piece, and then how to figure out where to hit and how. And then you start to come into, well, this is being really pedantic about it, and you don't actually think about all these things, but then you start to get into how to manipulate the material. How do I move from A to B or A to Z? And what are the, all the steps in between and how to move between them efficiently? Yeah. I mean, that last part is more akin to how to become an expert. Yeah. A beginner, I, I, I can take anyone through like a two-day course and I can teach them a fair amount of basic skill. And I can then show them an item and I can ask, how would you make this? But I would argue and, that they already started at that point. Well, that, like that, that, this is why we're discussing it. Right. <laughs> My, my thinking is more like I can take an item and they can describe, okay, how would you make this after having a there's, an, there's a vast difference in what their answer is after or like on the first hour of the first day contra the end of the second day, because then they suddenly have an understanding of how the material moves, but they can't make those moves until they've spent even more time in the craft. Make sense? Yeah. I, I, I would still probably go with, but like, I kind of disagree with that one. Like for me, it would be more the questions like 10,000 hours to get started would be for me either decent that um, from taking blacksmith, blacksmithing as an example, 
I want to do blacksmithing to the point where you think the first time about like, oh, this is something I would like to do to actually like picking up a hammer and doing it, like booking a course. Like, is that the start? That would be the either a start for me. Or is it like the thinking about doing blacksmithing, like getting a book, reading about it, like not the actual start, the process of blacksmithing itself, but like the preparation for it. Is that already counted as starting? Yeah, like that would be uh, more the question for me for or like something I would consider like the, the starting line for something. So, yeah, and to that, I would add that there's done a lot of research in especially I think there's mostly when it comes to sports, but there's been done a lot of research specifically on how to get better. Mm -hmm. One of the things they realized is that people who they told to think and basically dream about the sport they improve a lot faster than people who don't. Yeah. So, yes, I would say that the, the learning of a craft starts as soon as you pick up an interest in it. Not when you first practice it, but when you first start to think about how it is done. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I agree with that, yeah. But then there would... Because... Mm -hmm. Go ahead. No, because then you're already firing up your brain. You're already thinking and making connections between things. You might not be right. You might, not, you might be wrong in all of the things but you're building connections between different branches of your brain and you are making some kind of progress, even though it could all be wrong in the beginning, but then hopefully you'll learn, okay, all of these are wrong. This is the right thing. Yeah. But I would argue with that, that that is still not really the start of it because they still have to basically get that hurdle done of actually picking up the hammer in that case. Because I know, for example, like take another difference, like for example, YouTube videos. You mm. can start watching YouTube videos, decide you want to do YouTube videos. You can do all the research. You can go, you can buy the camera, you can buy the lighting. As long as you don't switch on the camera, you're not doing it and you have no chance of improving. Yes. Yeah, but well, because I, I know I had most of the equipment, like I'm a gearhead. So I had a lot of <laughs> equipment. This was way too good for me before I even started. It's probably still is way too good. And I use it as an excuse for not starting is, oh, I probably need that to get better or, or not get better. But like before I get started, because I want that certain level of quality instead of just taking a freaking camera and just pointing at it and pressing the button. Yeah, no, you, you're right on that part. You definitely are. Red, there is you a... look like you're thinking. Yeah, I, I, the, the, the sentence reason, res, resonates in me. Uh, it has special, special meaning to me because um, uh, that's a sentence I, I heard a lot, uh, not only in the maker community, community, but also when I was um, practicing a lot of martial arts, uh, and especially in Japan, where the craft is so respected. Whatever the craft is, can be blacksmithing, woodworking, or... Um, um, doll making, whatever. Uh, I th think you're taking it exactly where I want you to take it now. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Good. Uh, there, there is this 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 saying that you you can only become an expert if you have ten thousand hours under your belt. And it's the same thing for a pilot. Uh, I mean, when, when you're flying planes, you have to have a certain amount of hours flying in order to be recognized as a pilot, uh, and and so on. Um, the problem is that um, the humility of the people that know the craft, that has these thousand, uh, ten thousand hours of 
practice of knowledge of um, um, thinking about what they are doing or what they do on a daily basis is completely different than the one that the, the beginner or the mid-level uh, craftsman has. In that sense of, um, I, I was I was talking to a friend, uh, Phil, uh, not to name it. Um, uh, yesterday uh, because he's, he's starting uh, practicing kendo and, and i did for Ooh, a few years nice. and um so i was i was i'm super excited for him and and he's at the very um first steps of his journey as a kendoka so he's buying the gears because he needs them for uh, the training and he's watching videos and he uh, had uh, a few training in in the dojo so he's he's super into it he, he thinks a lot about it which is completely normal that's the first step of like you said picking an interest and and rushing into it um and then you have you have the second step which is okay it's part of your life now that's that's something that you do and so um, you're not uh, as excited anymore, but you are. It's, it's still very, um, very important to you, and it takes time, and you, and you practice a lot, and and then there is another step. Let's say you you keep that second state for the ten thousand hours, and then someone shows up and you say and say to you, okay, you have ten thousand hours of practicing whatever kendo, blacksmithing, leatherworking. Uh, uh, whatever, whatever. Um, but you, as the craftsman, as the uh, kendoka, as the whatever it is, um, you have now the knowledge and um, to understand that you're only starting your journey into it. You have, yes, knowledge. You have, yes, experience. You have less techniques that other people don't have. But you know that you don't know a lot of things. And you know that it's only the beginning because if you want to be a so-called expert, you have still a long way to, to go. Um, take, let, let's keep this uh, Kendo example. Mm -hmm. um, people get the first dan after probably two or three years of practice, then the second and the third one, and you can start teaching people at, at that kind of level when you're third dan or fourth dan. And a lot of the teachers in dojos are three, fourth or fifth dan. But when you see the real master, the guys in Japan, like 80 or 90 years old, they are eighth, ninth dan. And they don't talk about kendo like it's something that they are good at. They, they, they know that they don't know enough yet but they are at the, end, the very end of their journey, so to speak. Um, and when you see them fight, it's obviously completely different than two beginners fighting because probably if you don't have seen beginners fight, it's pretty interesting because they are full of energy and they are jumping everywhere and they are trying to eat the other guy uh, as much as they can. And the total opposite of the real masters, the old guy with nine or eight or nine Dan under the belt, they are not moving because they know what they are doing. They are strong, they are defensive, and they are just waiting for the good opportunity or they are creating this opportunity to attack. And the fight is done like in real life. Only one attack, there's a winner, there's a loser. One guy lives and one, die, one guy dies. And having this knowledge of not knowing what you don't know is actually a good 
motor or good energy to go forward and to push forward the craft and your research and your journey into into what you have chosen to do and to and to practice for hopefully the rest of your life and 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 that's that's something i've known um as uh i don't want to call myself a martial artist but i've practiced martial art for uh, a long time uh, and several ones, all in in um, connection with uh, katana, so sword fighting mainly. Uh, but now, as a as a leather worker, it's absolutely the same thing. I did a I did a class. Sorry, I'm getting long. Uh, but just That's just a, one, one mm-hmm. last point. I I did a class a few weeks ago, uh, months. Uh, I'm not sure anymore. Uh, time is so weird now. Um, uh, I did. Uh, I gave a, a leather working class, um, and it were they were all. I had like eight students, and they were all beginners. And I hadn't realized as um, how much I knew about leather working, uh, leather crafting, until I actually tried to teach it. Mm-hmm. I'm a teacher in real life, so. I teach all the time, uh, French or Japanese, but teaching laser craft, uh, laser working was the first for me. And I was, I, I always had this humility, probably because of martial arts, of saying I'm absolutely not an expert in any shape or form on, in whatever I do, but being confronted with total beginners um, make me see the gap in knowledge uh, all the things that I knew already, but I had no um, uh, awareness of knowing. I know where I want to go. I know that I have years of practice ahead of me before that anyone can call me an expert uh, because I will consider myself uh, uh, an expert probably never or the day I die if I work well into that point. But being also aware that uh, after years of practicing, I am now ahead of beginners was kind of reassuring for me. Um, it can sound obvious, but so many people have this confidence in themselves, in their knowledge and in their practice right from the beginning um, that it can, it can, it can be um, not good for what they are trying to achieve, if that makes sense in any way. Yeah. Yeah, and that is exactly where I hoped you would end up. Thank you. Uh, I mean, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's and I, to me, it feels like becoming a master is the wrong goal, or becoming an expert even, yeah. because as soon as you, it, it, it sort of implies that you have learned everything that you that there is to learn, or everything you need to learn. Whereas, like everything in life, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. But I think- and while you're running a marathon, it doesn't feel like you're anywhere near completion until you are at the end. Yeah, yeah but I think that depends on it's like what you see and or what you think a master is. If you see a oh, master, yeah. somebody that knows everything. For my definition, like somebody that's a master, something is like master craftsman is really good at stuff. But like maybe because we're makers, like I know for a certain fact that like you never learn, like you you're never gonna reach the end of something. Oh yeah, yeah, by all means, and and I'm not I'm not saying um, this has to like it's more the mentality of 
there is a finishing line because yeah. like yeah there is and after that you're dead <laughs> sort of to bring it back to where we where we were um and true but um i I'm sorry, sorry? So, sorry to like interrupt you, Erasmus. But the the difference there is also uh, we have jobs that are measured by society. Yeah. Um, which is basically like the journeyman uh, as a woodworker or blacksmith, and then the, the master grade that you get. Basically, there are certain times and tests you take, so you get defined by society when you reach that point. And there's other stuff that you actually cannot. Um, see like basic YouTubing when do you know like when are you going to be like a master or like a really good YouTuber is it subscribers I don't think so I've oh, seen yeah, people with incredible point. quality that have like almost non-subscribers like this, it's not measurable in that kind of way they're great at what they're doing mm. but it's not measurable I would say so Red you want to say something yeah that the um, I you were right when you were saying that the society is measuring what we know, what we are good at, probably with numbers. And 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 for, for YouTube, it's something completely different because someone can be very good at this craft, but also very bad at making videos. And so he doesn't get the views of the subscriber that he would deserve. And the opposite is also true. It can be very good at just making entertaining videos and not that good at the craft, but get a lot of views and subscribers, which both are fine because you, you can find your uh, audience in, in both ways. Um, what, what I'm, I'm most, most worried about is the way that society, like personally, is the way that society... Um, um, gives you uh, a notation uh, or gives you value depending on how many years you've you've been practicing something and that's yeah. why um, I think that apprenticeship is 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 very important and very valuable uh, I keep I keep asking Andy Berkey if he wants to take me as an apprentice and he keeps saying yes uh, but but the, the amount of knowledge the amount of techniques, the, the skills that he has yeah. is just insane to me. Um, and, and it's been acquired um, by many, many years of hard work, of patience, of research, of, of drawing sketches, of opening his eyes, seeing the beauty of the craft everywhere he goes. And I believe a part of it is also, um, if I'm not mistaken, but he can, will, I will, I, we will ask him if he can uh, tell us about himself one day. Um, I believe there is also something uh, to, to do with him working with his father, building churches when he was younger. So the knowledge is not something that you can gain only by your um, uh, time or by your energy or about your uh, implication into the craft, but also something that can be given, transmitted to you when you are an apprentice. It can be from your father, for your master. And again, in Japan, it's something very important. To you, When a craft is dying, it's because a master, so-called master, didn't take an apprentice to to transmit the knowledge that he has. And that is something is happening true. now in Japan that never happened for hundreds of years uh, in history that masters are getting retired or are close to um, dying. And so they accept to take a foreigner apprentice. So the craft or the knowledge is not lost. And, and it's, it's 
quite new in the Japanese mentality to do that because the craft was a national treasure. It was something that has to be res- uh, not only respected but also pro- protected and and kept uh, inside the walls, so to say. Um, so so it's very good to see Japan has been opening uh, his borders and his mind uh, for 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 years now, and, and it's really nice to see that they are welcoming craftsmen and people wanting to learn because they more important than than um, the nationality of the guy learning, keeping the knowledge alive, keeping the craft going is more important, and 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 I I really like that idea. And read from my understanding, it's also in Japan that there's not really like tests like we have here in Europe or maybe even in the US where you have like a test where you're tested, but your master basically tells you like you work your time. I mean, yeah. for in, in a lot of crafts, I think it's like you the first year you're basically sweeping the floor. It, it sounds stupid, but it's basically what it is. It's like you're allowed to watch and you learn by watching. And then you no, get it, to that point where you get corrected. So, but yeah. boiling it down, it's basically in Japan, I think it's still that you work with the master for a non-defined time and he decides when you're ready and he lets you do your own stuff so it's not time-wise like after three years you're allowed to do that after five years you're allowed to do that or you have to take that exam and then you're allowed to but he will like watch you watch you work he will look at you and i think somebody from my japanese colleagues told me that um a friend of his um was um actually working in pottery over in japan and he was so proud of his buddy because his piece got sold. Like he was allowed to put his piece Ooh. in the shop for sale, nice. which meant nice. basically yeah. the master or the um, the owner of the shop called him worthy enough or good enough of work to be sold. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, because uh, when when an apprentice uh, is allowed to, uh, I mean, want produce something and wants to sell it, the master also put his reputation uh, in line for mm-hmm. that piece. He has to defend it. So if the quality is not good enough, the the piece of the apprentice could hurt the master's reputation. So that that's also something you have to take uh, to be aware of. And, and to protect because that's also a business. We, we don't have to, we, we shouldn't forget that in yeah. that sense. Um, that's right what you said about about uh, sweeping the floor for one year and, and learning by, by watching. But that there is always a point to that. Um, when I started Kendo many years ago, um, they made me just walk across the dojo for like three months. And I was like, okay. Mm. Um, and the teacher told me, uh, okay, so you're starting very late in the in the year. The year ended in June, and I started in April. Uh, April, so it's like three months just before the uh, year ends. So he's like, uh, we are we we are prepping the uh, grades at the end of the year. So a, a lot of people are, are, are will um, take the test, the exam to get the first dan. So we are very busy, and you're starting at the wrong time. So I'm not very able to take care of you so just go in the corner of the dojo and just walk the way i showed you and i walked like for two months uh, Mm. seriously two months twice a week but in the end um, learning uh, to walk that way made me have great basis on movement deplacement strong roots in the ground when i was defending myself or a great ability to jump ahead to uh, make an attack so it was not 
um, wasted time. It was a strong basis to get uh, a quick and more efficient progression in the end. Yeah, like just like in Karate Kid, <laughs> so, you're absolutely so, right. Sorry, yeah. I'm, I'm just like, yeah, for, for the listeners, like I'm waving my hands like wax on, wax off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you're right, because yeah. I, I, I had no idea that, um, I mean, I mean, I've, I, I, I have seen the movie when I was younger, but when the guy told me, just walk, I was like, okay, uh, the point was to uh, build muscle memory and to be able to just move quickly uh, in a fight, during a fight, without having to think about how to move. And then, um, after two months of doing that, I finally picked up a sword, so it's called a, China, a Shinai in Kendo, and in one month I was able to uh, get my um, uh, grade just under the first dan. They wouldn't give me the first dan because I was not uh, register in the Federation for long enough. I had to be registered mm. for at least one year. So it, 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 what my point is that the progression was very quick. By watching, practicing very hard on only one task, the progression down the line was was a lot more, um, a lot quicker. So, and I believe that apprenticeship is the same thing. You can uh, watch your master. You can do do small tasks if it has a purpose if it can serve your craft um it's not wasted time and it will allow you to save time further down the line by 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 doing um whatever you're it's also probably a, a, a mind thing like prepping yourself to accept uh, direction from your master without having to complain or to argue or just accept to do it the right way from the beginning because if you yeah but no i don't want to work for two months in dojo okay you 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 can but if a master or sensei or, or or your teacher tells you to do so there is there is a reason behind that it's not just only to get rid of you i believe yeah, yeah I, I feel like it's often also to test your passion uh, Absolutely. I, I, I Absolutely. actually, I actually rewatched Karate Kid just last week, yeah. coincidentally enough, and the original it really holds up. It's really good. No, no, the original. Shut oh up. yeah, the, the original is just <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. No, I, I, I like Jackie Chan, but Will Smith kid. But but yeah, um, the the whole thing of uh, and it's not common. It's not. It's not only in Japan and the, these crafts really and I include martial arts in a craft there where they give you the most boring tasks first mm. not because they only want to test your dedication and your passion for this craft because if you are willing to suffer through those quote-unquote worst parts of it then you also have the drive to become really good yeah. and those sort of nearly meaningless tasks, they give you the foundation to become really good a lot quicker. That, and I, I think also that they you just got some of those masters that went through hell and they don't see any reason why the apprentice should have it any better than they Oh, yeah. There's also that. Yeah, there's also that. But like, um, when it comes to swing dancing, so since the corona thing, we've not been doing a lot of couple dancing. It's been... Like 
in short periods. But especially when it comes to Boogie Woogie, uh, we just started like a month ago to practice with a partner again. But that's mean we have had a year and a half doing basics and doing jazz routines and solo work and footwork and all of that. And some of the people who they like some people who started dancing like a couple of months before COVID, and then they weren't able to do couple dancing anymore, and then they just kept at it because they were dedicated, and have been doing the footwork and the basics, and they have become really good yeah. in a really short amount of time because well they they had no other option. They was like listen to the music, learn how to do move your feet, how to keep your balance and all of that. And then the actual dancing and the connection that comes like that you need to learn how to follow if you're a follower. But as soon as you know the rules of how your body's supposed to move when you get a certain amount of signals, you can follow anything. But if your footworks aren't there, then you can't even dance. True. I will I would also like to sort of just end on the the note that it's maybe a misconception, but in Chinese, Kung Fu, it's not the martial arts. Literally, I believe it means practice with purpose. And you have Kung Fu in everything from painting to flower decoration to tea making yeah. and martial arts and blacksmithing and wood carving. Wushu is the style or one of the styles of martial arts they have in China. Yeah. But Kung Fu is just to practice with purpose and dedication that's why he says kung fu in everything in the movie right yeah 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 uh he's well of course he's japanese so he says whatever that is yeah but it's 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 almost the same i heard it and i was like oh yeah yeah, i remember that because before i moved to japan i practiced wushu in oslo yeah and i was like it's not kung fu no no kung fu is the style of practice this is the what you're doing Mm -hmm. um yeah it's like uh winsun that's the other one. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's with more like with weapons, is it? No, it's basically everything to just hurt the person in front of you. It's made as a self-defense. Uh, I think even in China, it was developed for women as a self-defense. Oh. So it's basically um, using, well, if you're lightweight or if you're bodily, like, how do you say it? Physically um, not Small as strong or... as your opponent. It's basically yeah. hidden where it hurts. So it's not a competition sport. It's and basically you got like the teaching grades that you have. And I think up the third one, you can like seriously injure the, the person in front of you. So there are not really like any uh, tournaments because uh, the, yeah. it's basically kill your opponent. <laughs> Sounds like fun for old ladies. My wife did it for three years. So not old ladies as well? You don't want to like sneak up on her and just touch her shoulder because <laughs> it's a lot of like muscle memory and just like turning around and like <laughs> automatically aiming for parts where it hurts. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's, uh, I, 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 I did that once. Not sneak. I got snuck up upon and I twitched and I sent my elbow straight into his sternum yep. and he just folded over. I was like, oh, hello. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and this was like a friend I haven't seen in a couple of years. And he started to be funny. And I was like, just dunk. And he was like, <laughs> yeah, happens. What is this when you're um, training muscle memory? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, might, I might have been nervous and in my own world or 
something um, as well. But yeah, should we end there? Is that yeah? Have I you think agreed we're to off not topic again. <laughs> uh, Have you agreed that we're not agreeing yeah. on anything or something? I yeah. would say that like two thirds of that conversation, <laughs> we were <laughs> we oh, were man. focused on the subject. <laughs> oh, we're gonna misuse those fractions a lot. Oh yes. But okay, so Red, what's been what's been catching your focus? What's you looking at this week? Um, I. Uh, listened to the last latest episode of Dark Star One, uh, which I'm super happy to be a part of. Um, Phil, our good friend Phil, will put uh, everything link and everything in, in the show notes. Um, is the um, real engine of this project? Absolutely. Oh yeah, um, he's been doing a lot of amazing work on that stuff. Oh yeah, yeah he's it, putting a tremendous crazy. amount of work in that. Yeah. Yeah. And this, this was this was this was actually the first episode I was in. Yeah. Oh, which reminds me, I need to record the lines for the next one soon. Yeah, me too. Me too. That yep, that's that, that yeah, that's in two days. Good thing yeah. I'm not alone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would have to do that tomorrow. But yeah. Anyway, the, the the listening to the show is always great fun. Like because not only because um, all the maker makers being involved in a project, but the show itself uh, is great. It's funny. It's well done. It's amazingly well produced. Um, he uh, Phil put a lot of time in doing this, and yeah, so that that I was re-listening to the uh, latest episode the other day, and that was great. So I can't wait to record my lines for the next one and to uh, listen to the final uh, episode next time. Cool, great. Nice. Yeah, it was it was a fun thing, and he's been putting in like a hundred hours per episode or something. Yeah. 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 It's insane. It's insane, but so well made. So yeah, yeah. I, I, I hope he, we will, we will, and he will keep on, um, on, on doing that because that, that, that's great. That's great. I'm really curious about where it land. <laughs> Me too. Me too. I want to know what's, what I'm, I will be doing next, what my character will be doing next. Mm-hmm. That's so exciting. I like, I like, I like it. So yeah, that was mine. Yeah. Oh no! You go first. I'm I'm gonna pull a Steve here and check my timeline uh, <laughs> for. Uh... Yeah, I, I listen, like I listen to an excessive amount of podcast. I don't think I mentioned it on the podcast here before, but I, on average, consume about thirty hours of podcast a week. That's a lot. And I stumble upon a new one today. Oh. Oh. Yeah. It's called the Happiness Lab. Okay. And so this was, uh, this is a recommendation inside of recommendation kind of thing. This was featured on the Cautionary Tale podcast, which is really fascinating, I think, because he takes actual events from history and he analyzes them and say, okay, this is where things started to go wrong. This is what they did. Here's what they probably could have done, both to mitigate the problem beforehand, what systems they could have in place to prevent disaster after accidents happened, and also what we can learn, in that sense, what we can learn from all of this. And he goes from Chernobyl to talking about the Crimean War and um, Florence Nightingale and the first like use of statistics to prove 
um, oh, what was this? Specifically, I think it was like the spreading of diseases in the camp and what and sanitation that's the thing how sanitation specifically proved the health of soldiers in camp and how it stopped the spread of diseases mm-hmm. really really fascinating stuff but the thing he featured this week was the happiness lab and they specifically talked about how to deal with emotional pain and that our brain reacts exactly the same on emotional pain as physical mm. That's interesting. And a few things like uh, the story goes on. Just, uh, I think you might have both heard it. The story of that the drill sergeant in full metal jacket is an actual drill sergeant that was hired on to be a consultant. Yeah, was. And, but then he was on set and he started to ad lib lines and to play with the actors and Kubik hired him. Yeah. So this episode talked to the guy who got replaced. Okay. Interesting. The, the actor who also was a previous Marine, I think, and who had to, to roll, uh, but Kubik sent him to a hotel because he wanted, he didn't want him to become friends with the actor, so he isolated him. And then the guy who was the consultant got friends with Kubik. And all that feeling of rejection, this was your first big break. This could be the big role, and you see the movie later on, and you think... That could have been me. And how to deal with that kind of rejection and that emotional language. I've seen... There, I've, there, I've seen there, this, sorry. sorry. No, no, go on. Go on. I, I've seen a similar thing uh, uh, two days ago. It was... Uh, I don't remember the name of the guy because it was... Uh, it was... It's not... I don't know. Um, the, the guitarist that was part of the band Metallica and that been kicked out of the band like at the early stage of the uh, success of the band mm-hmm. meeting with uh, I believe it's Lars the, the drum guy of the band but like 20 years later and it was exactly that it was like you've kicked me out of the band because I was I had a drinking problem or something but it could have been me the problem is the guy uh, created another band with had with his Megadeth, I believe. Yeah. And he's super famous, but he's yeah. the second one. And he wanted to be the first one with Metallica. Yeah. So this feeling of rejection was, was very interesting to see in that vi- video. Even the guy is the like second biggest metal music band in the world. He was like still not happy not being the first. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh- I'm I'm not a big fan of the whole self-help movement because it feels like a vast majority of it is hype and inspirational quotes and not much based in science or research. And that's the thing that this happiness lab really hooked me on is that they referred not only to specific researchers and specific science, they also tell you what kind of experiments they run and why they thought that experiment is valid. So it's not like, oh, I have been talking about this for 20 years, so you should listen to me. No, no, it's, we have studied this. We tried to study it this way. It didn't work or it's unethical. Like Mm -hmm. causing someone emotional anguish on purpose to research it, you couldn't do that. Mm -hmm. But to actually find 
a game basically that you can play and have an experiment with mm. that gives you an actual response that is measurable. Mm. That's kind of fascinating as well. Absolutely. So I have the, the, I'm cheating. I have two there. Cautionary mm. tales about various interesting disasters or near misses in history and the happiness lab about how to deal with language, how our emotions work, and it's based on science. Nice. Good shout. Absolutely. Jan, did that's you find nice. something? Let's focus. Yeah, actually, um, I remember, I'm, I'm just going to go with that, what I'm like really enjoying lately when a new episode comes out and I like watching. Uh, it's called Project Camp. Uh, and it's basically a guy from the Netherlands and he bought a huge piece of land in Portugal. And what they may, they, they kind of want to start up like a commune there. So, but like uh, how they, I think he advertised with like a sustainable way of living and they want to like test it. So it's not just like, oh, we're going to go there and we're going to go away from everything, but it's just all of the logistics. So they come there, then they have to like cut everything free uh, because half of that stuff is like a jungle. Then where do we get our water? Um, they got a shipping container with tools and a shipping container with like uh, a kitchen in it. And first, it's like the logistics of even getting it there, like securing the streets enough so the trucks can come and load them off and just stuff like that, building it up and like the solar. Now, I think they're at the point where they have solar power. I don't want to say too much about it because I can really like um, recommend it to people just watching it because on the one side, it's entertaining and the other side, it's really interesting because it has kind of that maker vibe. Like they're just creating a complete place from nothing like a wow. piece of land two shipping containers one is a kitchen the other one is tool storage and it's basically um him a friend of his and now you got like certain other people like stopping by once in a while the neighbors are helping which are like basically living there all their life in that piece of uh, like in the land of protocol so this is it's really interesting fun to watch uh it's like a new episode every uh, month and also like a, one of them no not every month sorry every week and they also have like a Q&A where they like explain what the uh, problems are or the challenges they're facing at the moment um, and what they're doing against, uh, yeah, what they're doing to solve it. My, my only problem with that is Portugal. It's too hot. <laughs> it's not enough snow there. No, that's what they thought. They thought Ooh. Portugal was hot, but it's actually like raining the whole time. So they were absolutely not prepared for all of that rain. <laughs> oh, so it's semi-British. That's fun. It's, oh, yeah, okay. exactly. That's <laughs> okay. like, oh, by the way, we have like 75% of rain here all year. Like, of the year it rains. We didn't know uh, that. <laughs> this is something okay. we might have to take in accountants. What, what, yeah. what, what did you call this again? Uh, Project Camp. And Project and Camp is written not C-A-M-P. It's um, actually uh, K-A-M-P. Uh, yeah, K instead of P. Exactly. Uh, okay, cool. Then I've written that down. I need to get links, but yeah. And you can very, watch very it. Nice. And I think the guys also like used to be a designer or something. And there's another channel called uh, One Army. And basically, they, they have one video on there where they like pack all the shipping containers. And then it starts with its own channel, like building up the whole oh, So it's just sort of a prequel kind of thing? Um, no, it's just one is for sustainable uh, living where they like melt plastic and stuff like that and do different stuff out of it. But I just kind of, I found it through browsing, like on coincidence. And I saw yeah. how they packed the shipping container and then and, like for some reason it um, 
I think in, in the link, or I found a link for like basically, oh yeah, if you want to see what we're doing with that, we have a second channel where we're building a camp. And I was just like, mm -hmm. oh yeah. <laughs> it's oh, 11 yeah. o'clock at night. I don't have anything else to do. <laughs> Click. <laughs> I could go to bed or I could watch another YouTube video. Then maybe actually have both those links in the show notes. Nice. Yeah, but I think they link each other. Like they mention it where you can find like okay, the Okay, fine. The then, then we video. can be lazy instead. That's, exactly. That's yeah. Yeah, cool. Okay. We done? Is that it? I think that's it. Okay. Well, it then... was fun as always. No, yeah. I'm, I'm, I was thinking, like, where can they find us? Where can they find you? Red, you started. Uh, okay, uh, everywhere, uh, Instagram, Facebook, uh, YouTube, uh, Patreon, uh, and else, and uh, Red Smith. Uh, on Instagram, it's the Red Smith, same on Patreon. Uh, basically, you find a circle, black circle with a uh, red R and a white S in it, and it's me. Nerd Inventor. You can find me basically on what YouTube, Insta, Twitter, even um, pretty much any social media. I'm basically only active on somewhat active on YouTube and Insta. Uh, white circle, black guy with a head and a monocle in it. <laughs> Easy to find. <laughs> and I'm Rasmus Lowen everywhere, pretty much Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, all of those things. And Lowensme.no if you are into the Viking tongues, which sounds weird to say. A bit. A bit. But thank you all for watching, <laughs> listening, <laughs> one of those. And we'll catch you all next time. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Bye.